You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Podcast, episode 160. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook or via our 24-hour streaming radio station, pennystocks.fm. And keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com, for our Your Stock Artake segment. And we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. We have one final show to close out 2021 and ahead of our 2022 predictions show where we review last year's predictions and make some bold predictions for the year to come. In this show, we will review our recently released special report that included a review of every NASDAQ listed stock with a market cap of under 2 billion, which is over 3000 stocks. We will also briefly look at our just released Canadian tax loss selling report in our Your Stock Our Take segment, first Brennan reviews Skylight Health Group, symbol SLHG on the TSX, a multi-state primary care group in the U.S. The company has produced strong revenue growth in 2021, but a lack of cash flow appears to be sinking this once high-flying small cap. In our second Your Stock Our Take, Aaron reviews a listener question on Algoma Steel Group, Inc., symbol ASTL on the TSX, a Canadian producer of hot and cold rolled steel sheets and plate products. The company, which began or recently became public once again, has seen profits soar on higher steel prices. Aaron looks at the sustainability of this profitability. I'd like to welcome my two co-hosts again, Brennan and Aaron. How are you two doing? Doing great. Doing great. And Merry Christmas. Merry Merry belated Christmas. Yeah. Happy holidays and uh, looking forward to the new year. Yes. Yes. One, one, two days away. It would be great to get into a new year. Hopefully this year looks a little different than last year. But Aaron, you just came back from a trip, uh, a little little vacation, took the family down to Disneyland, I believe, uh, for your girls the first time. Must have been uh, yeah. somewhat magical. Oh, it was, yeah, no, for sure. So yeah, earlier in, in December, just a little bit before Christmas, we decided to pop down to Anaheim and do a, do a Disneyland tour. So this is the first time. I, I went to Disneyland when I was, I think I was 15, 16. My parents took me. Um, my girls are much younger. They're They're four and seven right now. So good uh good time for them to go down there but no i was i i thought it was a great experience and um you know who who knows uh what 2022 is gonna have in store for us and if we'll be able to do any traveling so i took the so took the time the, to do the it. question i'd say can it can i say that what do you want to buy stock in disney yes, now uh, being to, to be disneyland. honest that is the first thing like <laughs> disneyland is so and i've been to i mean i've been to amusement parks um, in several places around the world. And Disneyland is just, they're so next level with what they're able to oh, do. Yeah. And I mean, some of the some of the rides were just, they're not even rides, they're just experiences. And especially if you're a Star Wars fan, I mean, if you're a Star Wars fan, what they've been able to create yeah. there is just absolutely- And Marvel, and Avengers Marvel, now, and right? All, all uh, yeah. of that, yeah. 
Um, yeah. Like so much of it is just such next level and the kids were loving it. And it did make me, because Disney is, of course, a public company. I'm a subscriber to Disney Plus, which once again, so that's Disney, yeah. Pixar, Marvel, all that content. And it's really started, it's really got me thinking again about, you know, Disney as an investment. So it was hit hard financially during the pandemic, not from a share price perspective, but certainly financially. Um, and it's a couple years before, still before Disney Plus is expected to be profitable. But when you look at just like what that team, that network of people are able to do creatively to generate these experiences, it's uh, it's from an investment, pers- I mean, from a consumer perspective, it's great. From an investment perspective, it's it's compelling. But of course, you know, it, it, it ultimately comes down when I'm looking at it from the perspective of an investment, it comes down to, you know, the, the financial fundamentals of the company. It all has to translate yeah. into, into solid cash flow and earnings. If not right away then, you know, in the, in the near future. So who knows, you know, in our U.S. research, you could see Disney poke its head in there. Yeah, well, I mean, I remember the back in the day, the purchases, uh, I think it was a, off the top of my head, I think it was a $2 billion purchase of Marvel. And I remember people kind of shaking their heads at the price tag that they paid for Marvel. Um, and today, you know, almost every Marvel movie makes a billion to $2 billion in terms of box office receipts unto itself. Cap put on top of that all the merchandising, all the everything that goes around that, and they you know the theme parks have rides based off of that. It was it was an absolute bargain basement price they paid and what they've created from that. Same with the Star Wars franchise too. I mean, it's unbelievable what they've been able to yeah, do. Yeah, four billion, how, four billion they paid for yeah, for yeah. Lucas films. So Star Wars, that was Lucas, and then Marvel. Yeah, look at look it up and see if it. I think the two billion was what I remember, but look it up and see if it's in that range. But I mean, that was years ago now, obviously. Marvel but it's unbelievable. Four billion as well, it says here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, it, I, I, I guess I was, uh, you know, a little under. But I mean, when every movie is doing, you know, two billion or one billion, it's unbelievable, really, the price and what they've been able to create out of that. But um, you know, it's it's they've. I mean, I I've got a six year old, and we've been down three times. And if there was no COVID, we probably would have been down two more mm-hmm. times. So. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're looking at potentially, you know, pending whatever goes on this year. We'll, you know, we're going down for a research uh, trip. Uh, the three of us will be going down to California. And, you know, I may take the family down there before and just, you know, spend another three days in Disneyland. And you certainly research, drop a lot though, of coin research, there. This so. is though, right? Because... I'm going to Disneyland yes, for research. Yes. That's the only reason that I go to Disneyland. <laughs> and you have to you have to you add know, Brennan in there. You have to say, I'm bringing the Actually, family. Actually, Brennan may come. Brennan's never been. No, I forgot parents, to say. Bre- yeah. Brennan, who who is actually lives in a hobbit hole or something in, in Saskatchewan. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I don't That's mean, okay. That's Brennan's okay. enjoying minus there. 35. Yeah, minus 35, yeah. minus yeah, 40. I'm Brennan's a machine. Come on. Yeah. We, we could, he is a we machine, stick our but he, we need to get him to Disneyland so he can talk about yes, this, right? Exactly. Right, Brennan, it, you're at least if we're going, you're you're going for at least a day. Oh yeah, I'm gonna drag you there, and you're you're taking Eden around on every ride. Okay. Oh, so you won't be dragging me there. Cause I'll be I'll be very very happy to uh, to be there and. Uh, no, yeah, to get to relive my childhood a little bit. Like I, I was going to say, my parents kind of robbed me. Yeah, yeah you got to get out of your childhood, your childhood <laughs> before you go back <laughs> and relive it, Brandon. Come on. Fair uh, point, fair point. All right. 
Anyways, I'm glad you guys had a good trip. I loved hearing about it because you know I do. It's it's fun down there, and, and like you see it through your kids' eyes when you're down there. It's it's pretty awesome. So I I I will actually love going again. I'm sure it'll be good times. Can't wait. Now Can't wait. let's let's sorry. Let's look at our first uh, special report. We put out a couple just right ahead of Christmas. Uh, this is the first one we'll look at is our Nasdaq under two billion small cap market report. This report, uh, individually reviewed, we our analysts did about uh, you know thirty five hundred Nasdaq, primarily Nasdaq listed stocks with market caps of under two billion U.S. Now the impetus behind this whole project was to really just get a better understanding of the current valuations of this group. Uh, we increase our analysts' general knowledge of this set of companies and create a group of over a hundred stocks, essentially in that range, which have a threshold level of GARP or growth at a reasonable price. The criteria that we identify, uh, like to identify near and long-term investment opportunities through. The research going through all those companies, it actually in it produced a list of around 130 stocks from which we have provided in the report statistical analysis in our table section from the initial numbers um, and our review of these businesses that we looked through we produced a list of 38 stocks that we provided many reports on that detailed the businesses their current valuations and their merits as potential recommendations upcoming the report itself produced five recommendations eight updates from companies currently in coverage and seven stocks in what we'd call our top tier monitor list or stocks we are looking to potentially add to our buy list over the course of 2022. And there's 19 stocks in our standard monitor list that we'll monitor quite closely. I'd say what struck me from doing this research and when I look at the entire report is the diverse range of companies that are covered in this report. And that just stems from the kind of the diverse range of companies that you find, the breadth of companies that you find in the U.S. markets generally. I mean, there's everything from gold and precious metals producer. We recommended one company in that segment. SaaS businesses, there's REITs, semiconductor manufacturers, retailers, e-commerce companies, enablers. There's payment processors, hardware manufacturers, biotech, healthcare providers, basically everything in between that. So a huge breadth of companies to choose from, which is great to see. It's a difference looking at this market when compared to the Canadian market. And I'd like to get your comments on it because you guys did research into this report as well. Sure. Well, we've always known, I mean, obviously the U.S. market is is much larger than, than Canada, but what we've also talked about a lot over the past years is just how much more diversified it is down there, um, where there's such a focus here in Canada on um, commodity commodity-related businesses, resource-related businesses, and then the big banks. In the U.S., they have a great technology sector. I mean, their technology sector is absolutely massive. A lot of different companies touching a lot of different areas, um, industrial, infrastructure, just a lot of, of different types of companies that really make the market interesting. And of course, there's very interesting companies up here in Canada as well. It's just, first of all, a smaller market. And then when you strip out you know, the big the big six banks and then the resource companies, most of which we're not interested in. Um, most of the resource companies in Canada are not, not even producing revenue, never, never mind profitability. Um, but when you strip out resources, you strip out uh, financials, you know, you're, you're dealing with an even smaller market up here in Canada. So 
that's yeah it's really compressed yeah. and then if you try to look for growth at a reasonable price in those companies it really compresses yeah exactly and it also makes like looking at the market valuation overall in canada really it's 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 more or less it's it's not a very helpful figure to look at mm-hmm. because there's just there's such a range right from your highly cyclical commodity businesses to your financials to your you know standard conventional operating companies and growth stocks so um just so just more i mean it takes a lot longer when you have 3500 companies in canada which is you know most of the market almost the entire tsx uh venture and tsx you know we're able to get through a lot of those fairly quickly because they just don't even pass a minimum criteria whereas when you're doing a screen like that in the u.s takes a lot longer to get through the companies because so many more pass that minimum criteria they don't pass the full criteria necessarily but they warrant further Mm -hmm. research and so it just it, it slows the process down but you know there's there's things i mean obviously when you look at the at the at the technology space, software companies um, with high recurring revenues, particularly in that in that that mid cap range or small cap range, you're you're generally paying very high valuations. Um, there are some exceptions, um, but you're generally generally paying very high valuations. There is value in the market, um, in in other areas in the market, but you know it's 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 when you look at a market environment like we're in right now that has been largely pushed by high growth companies. Um, and then you, you look at other investment classes like say Bitcoin and other areas that have done really well. It really makes the value opportunities look less interesting because value is a long-term strategy. It's not you know something you necessarily should expect to get a big return from in three to six months. But for people that do appreciate value, um, companies that are trading at a lower price relative to the underlying earnings and cash flow. There are opportunities there. You just have to be more patient on, you know, getting that investment return out of them um, and having the market recognize that value. Yeah. I think, I think one of the things Aaron pointed out there that when we're looking at 3,500 companies, for example, in the U S there is more to dig into in these businesses. It's good. It takes longer. I mean, we started in September looking at these companies, so you can see it takes months to go through that many but of note over that period when we're compiling this report and we kind of noted this in the introduction was the valuations in the u.s and canadian particularly the micro small and mid-cap markets which would be you know under two billion certainly in the u.s um they've shifted significantly lower and and it's kind of been underreported and we call it like a stealth correction or stealth sell-off well you see the nasdaq is significantly in positive territory for 2021, but over 30, 37% of NASDAQ stocks are now down 50% from their 52-week highs. The FANG stocks now make up almost a quarter of even the S&P 500 and are masking a rather significant correction in the, the rest of the market, essentially, particularly in this micro, small, and mid-cap space. So I, mean, I would say, despite the correction, generally in this space, valuations on a historical level are elevated to agree, and it should give readers, you know, or listeners today at least, an idea of the extent the, that we saw irrational valuations heading into 2021, and particularly when we saw a jump up in the early part of 2021. Now, there are certain parts that we noticed during this report compiling this report that value may be beginning to appear in certain segments but i would say you know 
being cautious, broadly speaking, right now is not a bad thing. Finding the value and looking one to three years forward is what we are looking at right now. And there is some value starting to creep in. But, you know, there are some segments of the market still that are trading at these elevated valuations. And, you know, when we did presentations in December, we talked about, you know, I talked about a company like DocuSign. Uh, we talked about this on the last podcast. Good company, good business, had good growth, slightly missed earnings. And, you know, in two days, the share price was down roughly 50%. And, you know, that is a high flyer that, you know, everybody wanted to add to their portfolio over the past year. But the valuations on a price to sales basis, you know, just not a price to earnings basis or price to cash flow basis, you know, got to the 50, 60 times and just one little misstep and it, a company or like that is really vulnerable to a correction. So I would expect we've seen quite a bit of that already in this, in the, you know, since the fall of this past year, you may see more of that to start the year as well. Yeah, one thing that I'd like to add too is just, you know, going through all of these companies, we read, you know, I probably read myself over 50 conference call transcripts. And, you know, one thing that I picked up, especially from our, you know, top tier monitor or the companies that we are monitoring, some of these companies are, you know, going through headwinds with cost inflation, which are going to squeeze margins a bit, as well as, you know, there's still a little bit of a lag and uh, continued pressure from COVID lockdowns. So it's, you know, interesting, like Ryan was kind of saying, being patient, monitoring these businesses closely, maybe it will uh, create an opportunity, especially if we all of a sudden see, you know, uh, these, the margin contraction starting to, you know, wane or, or wear off. And uh, yeah, potentially just uh, seeing some momentum in the business and uh, maybe having some opportunities present themselves uh, into 2022. So I'm, I'm excited to monitor some of these businesses closely as well. And uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm really excited. There's, like I said, 130 plus companies that we have basically on a monitor list and, you know, whittled down even that to just under 40 that we really want to watch closely. There's a number of the teams that we've interviewed already. Some of them that we'll interview you know, in January, and you know we believe it's going to produce further uh, recommendations going forward. There's some businesses that, you know, like like Brandon said, they're highlighting you know some short-term supply chain issues, uh, some short-term labor pressure potentially, and how they navigate those in the first half of the year is going to be very interesting. Uh, what we have is a really good monitor list in this segment right now that if we see some you know they're good businesses if we see a correction of 30 percent we might be able to get some bargains whether that be you know the first part of the year the second half of the year or the end of the year or whenever during the year i think there's going to be some good companies that we can add and probably get them at a better price yeah so we which would we, be nice we have uh, within the report you talked about about um, narrowing the field down. So we have a top tier monitor list from those 3,500 yeah. companies of seven individual stocks. Um, so these are companies that would be very close to recommendations, I would say, over the next month or so. And you, yeah. we'll be looking at them, as you said, Ryan, and there could be another one to two recommendations um, that come out of this report in, in the next several weeks. Yeah, that's what we're looking for, for sure. I'm going to briefly uh, shift gears and talk, John. We also, for our Canadian small cap clients, that was for our U.S. growth and value stop clients. We did that report. We finished a tax loss selling report. 
Um, I can just touch on briefly what tax loss selling is, why we think it's a strategy you can use, and then uh, we can have a quick discussion. Then we'll move to our two-year stock, our take. So tax loss selling itself uh, and the strategy to take advantage of potential opportunities that may arise due to tax loss selling, it's not specific to just this year. It can be used every year moving forward, and that's what we noted in the report. So what is it and why is it done? Well, the praxis known as tax loss selling or tax harvesting, it, it involves selling investments in a lost position to offset capital gains realized by other investments. So just a quick example, during 2021, you sold shares in ABC uh, stock, TSX listed for a gain of $1,000. You also sold shares in XYZ on the TSX for a loss of $1,000. So you got $1,000 gain, $1,000 loss. The net effect is that they offset each other and you pay no tax. Now, let's look at it in practice. I like to give real-world examples. So let's give a, a significant gain from our portfolio over the past year. Be Photon Control. Uh, this is a stock that's been in our uh, focus buy portfolio for five or six years since it was trading at 46 cents. We also re-recommended it in March of 2020 at $0.88. Cents. So midpoint through this year, it was acquired by another public company for $3.60. Those gains would be between 200 and 700%, roughly, for clients. That's a great thing. But, of course, it triggers a significant tax consequence. On gains like that, you should never begrudge paying taxes. Capital gains are far less on what you would pay in terms of regular income, so they're treated far more effectively. But if you can offset those gains with some past losses and reduce tax or some losses you had this year, why not do that? That is where tax loss selling or harvesting comes in. So what you wanna avoid is, you never wanna sell a stock just to create a loss. While you may wanna avoid the taxman and offset gains during this year or next year, a decision made just to avoid taxes without thought to the underlying investment is poor investing strategy and can often be regrettable, costing you more in the long run. I'll give you an example of that. Uh, in I think it was September 2017, we recommended Expel Inc. And it was trading around you know, $1.45 or $1.50 in that range. Now, it went as low by the end of the year as about $1.30, $1.25. And if you would have said, oh, I need a small tax loss to offset a gain in another company and sold those shares. Well, within three months, the company had doubled. Within six months, it had basically doubled again. Today, it's in the $70 range. You know, you do not want to base your criteria for selling uh, or, or to, uh, in terms of tax loss selling, to sell a stock just to create a loss. Do not do that if it's sitting in a loss position. Evaluate the company based on its fundamentals. If those fundamentals aren't there anymore, that is why you sell. So when to use tax loss selling? Take advantage of tax loss harvesting only in stocks that are you're already planning to sell as a result of your ongoing, and this is what I was talking about, investment criteria or strategy. That should include selling businesses where the fundamental criteria for the original purchase of the stock has changed, including deteriorating financials, strategy change, management change, these things that you'd like to sell. Do not sell good businesses that trade at a loss just to reduce a capital gain in one year. So what is the opportunity? You want to take advantage of irrational, irrational selling in a given year in that December period. Investors with an eye to reduce taxes sell shares in companies indiscriminately. They essentially do just what I was saying not to do. 
selling shares because they're in a lost position with no mind to the current value of the business. While not always the case, this can temporarily depress the price of good long-term businesses. That's what we're looking for. So your goal should be buying good businesses with reasonable financials that face tax loss selling. These are the proverbial babies that get thrown out with the bathwater. What you want to avoid is poor businesses. Companies with declining to no financial position that face tax loss selling. Remember, just because a stock was at $30 earlier in the year and now is at $7 today does not mean it's on sale. Many stocks will be sold during tax loss selling season every year for very good reason. They are crap investments. That $7 stock that was at $30 is not necessarily on sale if it's a poor business. It can easily drop to $3 this year if it continues to underperform. So that gives you a good synopsis of what we will look at in the report. We came out with some companies that we're monitoring and a couple of opportunities that we think right now suffered some tax loss selling, have good, strong fundamentals, and are positioned for a good, strong earnings growth over the next one to three years. And we took advantage of some of those uh, with that report. So you guys got any comments or do you want to move on to our your stock our tank? Brandon? Um well I think just Brandon overall. Fell asleep. No, no, I didn't fall asleep. I thought it was good. <laughs> you know, I thought it was a very timely for the report, especially because I mean, you know, speaking in terms of my own portfolio, uh, I've learned over the last year that I need to own more large cap rather than small cap. So that definitely was the case. I saw a lot of blood in my portfolio, you know, still great businesses, but, uh, you know, it was a very timely for that report. Um, you know, I won't say the name of one company that uh, you have as a monitor in that report, but again, I'm touting the monitors. I am very excited about uh, this one company. Um, it's essentially a, a MarTech uh, or marketing tech company. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just breaking into profitability looks pretty interesting um you know want to keep close uh or want to keep a close eye on that stock and uh we'll see maybe it will potentially be uh, a recommendation in the future um but yeah i guess that's basically all i got right and then i just want to point out um i mean absolutely timely information great report i just want to point out as you said ryan it's not about it's not about pursuing a strategy of tax loss selling or buying it's about um, there being there being a certain point in the time where there could potentially be a couple of opportunities to take advantage of indiscriminate selling. So I think that you highlighted seven companies in the report, right? So this is out of you know mm -hmm. a universe of potentially hundreds or a couple thousand companies that you could have picked from, but it's seven companies that you're that you're highlighting, and we're not buying them or selling them because they go down. We're simply we're looking at. This, these companies as business owners and making our, our decision from there whether or not we want it's something we want to own or not and that's always the way that we we conduct investment analysis of course yeah and it's it's good to you know you, again tax loss selling is a tool in your toolbox it's not the be all not the end all um there can be some unique situations yeah every year that can develop it's something to watch every year, and we you know, will likely have a similar report next year that we can see uh, some companies that may be in a position to take advantage of this situation. But again, we're not going to buy a business because of tax loss selling season. We're going to have eyes on that business probably for six months or a year ahead of that, 
find it as an opportune price at that time and then want to hold it for one to three years, not want to hold it for a Santa Claus rally into uh, January or anything like that. We want to hold it because it's a good business. We may have just found it on sale during that period because of some unique circumstances that surround uh, some tax loss selling. Now let's let's look at our first Your Stock take. It's time we answer a question on Your Stock in a little segment we like to call Your Stock our take buy sell or hold brennan is going to review skylight health group i'll let you take that away awesome. brennan you bet uh so this one came in from andy and uh this is what he he said uh he says slhg which is the ticker of skylight health group he says it's since moved to a 52 week low curious to hear your thoughts on why um, so let's take a look. So Skylight Health Group, again, SLHG on the TSX Venture Exchange, currently trading at a price of $1.74 and has a market cap of about $70 million. So Skylight Health operates a U.S. multi-state primary care health network comprised of 24 medical clinics, providing a range of services from primary care, subspecialty, allied health, and laboratory and diagnostic testing. Now, the company is focused on shifting from a traditional fee-for-service model to a value-based care model through its proprietary technology, data analytics, and operations infrastructure. And just to uh, give a little bit of insight into this, uh, the company notes that in a fee-for-service model, payers, who are the commercial and government insurers, reimburse on an encounter-based approach, which puts a focus on volume of patients per day rather than creating positive patient outcomes. So now the company wants to focus more on a value-based care model, which providers are rewarded for keeping patients healthy and lowering unnecessary health costs instead of volume of services. Uh, And the company notes that VBC uh, will lead to improved patient outcomes, reduced cost of delivery, and drive stronger financial performance from existing practices. So that was a mouthful, but that is essentially what the business is focusing on. So a few key points here. Uh, The company is growing primarily through acquisition, having made eight acquisitions over the past 12 months, and they are essentially touting themselves as a white knight for -for fee-for-service primary care practices. And... On May 28th of 2021, the company conducted a one for five reverse stock split. Uh, So following the split, they have about 38.8 million shares outstanding. And more recently, on December 7th, the company issued uh, 5.8 million US preferred stock yielding about 9.25%. So, you know, seeing companies or especially these small cap companies offer preferred shares, we don't love seeing that. Um, But uh, yeah, they are, they do have some prefs now. So looking at the recent financial results for Q3 of 2021, uh, revenue was up substantially up 270% to 12.2 million compared to the same quarter last year. Uh, The company is still losing money with a net loss of 3.4 million compared to a loss of 1.3 million in Q3 of 2020. And adjusted EBITDA is also negative at 2.6 million compared to a gain of just 331,000 last year. The balance sheet looks reasonable with 5.6 million in cash, leases in debt of 17.3 million, providing net debt of about 11.7 million. And just quickly looking at the valuation multiples, uh, management did provide 2021 revenue guidance of 41 million which provides a forward enterprise value to sales multiple of approximately 2.1 times. 
And if we are to use the Q4 guidance and create a run rate off of this, uh, we are looking at a multiple of about 1.6 times. So I don't think that these multiples looked bad, but the question I have is how long will the company continue to lose money? Um, and then just one last note here. Uh, I did see in the company's presentation that uh, they had some equity research coverage, uh, a few firms with price targets on them. And I just wanted to highlight them because I think that they are kind of ridiculous. Um, so Northland Capital has a price target of $9 US on the company. Lake Street Capital has a target of $8 on the company. Echelon Capital, $8 price target. Raymond James, $7. So you can see, you know these these are very very lofty the company has negative profitability uh you know profitability is you know getting worse and worse uh how do they get to these valuations i just someone explain to you how do they get to these valuations maybe i'll have ryan touch on that well or i think they're most a lot of the time they're either paid research or they're uh looking to do a financing and want a exactly. you know exactly. want I'll, I'll a, the company to be another loving what they say as well as that this stock was actually at one point up around nine dollars per share mm -hmm. um and i don't know how it could have got up there with lack of such lack of profitability but I do notice that a lot of times, like say when it's around $7 per share, an analyst puts out a price target of, you know, maybe $9, $10, $11, then the company falls apart, you know, in this case down to $1.70. Uh, it's a lot harder for the analyst then to then turn around and say, oh, I was completely wrong and reduce that tar price target down to like say two, two fifty, three bucks. And this sure. is one of the reasons why price targets, you should never get excited looking at price targets. I mean, at best, these are intelligent guesses because nobody mm -hmm. can really tell the future. Um, and sometimes they're much worse than that. But uh, I'll, I'll turn it back to you, Brendan. Perfect, perfect. No, I appreciate that though, guys. Good comments. Um, so to, to sum it up here, uh, to answer Andy's question on why Skylight's share price has reached a new 52-week low, I would argue that we are seeing a few things. Number one, most small cap names were decimated over the course of 2021 after a very strong rally in early 2021, driven by what I think is was the meme stock exuberance. Now, number two, as these small cap names came off and uh, a lot of people bought them at le elevated prices, like Ryan just touched on, we started entering tax law selling season, uh, which more pain evidently followed. Now, focusing more on the business, number three, Throughout 2020 and into 2021, we saw many healthcare providers and clinic operators that have a little bit of a tech side to their business receive tech multiples. Now, in the case of Skylight Health, 98% of their overall revenue comes from medical services. So over 2021, we have seen many of these ridiculous multiples on healthcare providers, which were getting you know tech multiples essentially come back to earth. And lastly, number four, you know, we need to see the business focus on profitability where right now they're, they're essentially just making acquisitions, even though some of these acquisitions are accretive, but we're not seeing the, the business work towards profitability. We really need to see that uh, going forward. And eventually, you know, as a company continues to lose money, um, you know, market participants are going to, uh, you know, sell it off because they need to see that profitability eventually. So this is why I think that we are evidently seeing the new lows. 
So all in all, I think it's an interesting business, which is growing revenue at a great pace. It's neat that they are trying to disrupt the healthcare space with a value-based care system from a fee-for-service model, but I would like to dig deeper in understanding this model and potentially ask management how much of its total revenue is generated through value-based care right now. And, uh, you know, essentially the business trades with reasonable multiples, but until we see movement towards profitability uh, and not into a larger deficit, uh, it's a name that we would simply continue to monitor. So do you have the figure on uh, what their targeted revenue rate was or not the run rate, the targeted revenue for uh, this coming year will be? I do not. Like I do fiscal not. That's something that I should pull did, up. Did they not have some guidance or you said or no? I believe that you pulled up some guidance when you touched on it earlier this year. I didn't pull it up this morning when I was doing some analysis. Because I'm just, I'm just, and do you know what they did this year in terms of revenue? Um, well, they're looking, they've only reported Q3. They're anticipating okay. that they provided guidance uh, for all of 2021 with $41 million. Yeah. Um, so that's what they're providing. Okay. I, I guess I'm just looking at a press release back in March, like early March, the early part of March. And, you know, they can be, can completed about five recent transactions and they says their annual run rate is about 56 million so and and i understand they did transactions since then so it doesn't really seem to square off i know that's a run rate but uh you know the other part of it is they talk about all these companies the transactions that they uh purchase being between four to five times ebitda uh, which is consistent, you know, again, this is consistent across those transactions, and yet they are bleeding EBITDA and bleeding cash flow. Uh, and then they, you know, the, the, they had a 10% EBITDA margin in 2020, um, and yet, you know, they can't seem to even have a 2% EBITDA margin for the full course of this year. So again, you know, that would be the reason to me there's no positive cash flow. You can acquire, acquire, acquire. And if you don't ever create positive cash flow, plus it does look that overall, this is a relatively low margin business. So um, it's not like we're, you know, growing at a high rate or this business is growing at a high rate. And then they're going to start to bring in 20% or 30% EBITDA multiples. It looks like, you know, the 10 to maybe 12%, maybe what they are targeting. So how they got to that valuation uh, at the start of this year, um, you know, it's it's very curious to even think about. Uh, it's over exuberance for the sector, misunderstanding the business, and uh, you know, mispricing the business. In our opinion, yep. so I, I just took a quick look while you were while you were talking there at the recent press release. Um, so there wasn't any guidance or run rate um, uh, discussed there for the Q threes, but on the conference call, on the Q three conference call. Um, the management did say they would expect to see a run rate effectively at the end of this year of just over $40 million um, or just under $41 million roughly. Uh, so that's that's more or less. But then in the, in the question period uh, of the conference call as well, it seems like they're, they're not necessarily, there could be some one-time items in there. Um, really, what it comes down to mostly, as Ryan said here, is that they just they haven't proven they haven't proven the margin, they haven't proven the profitability, and the value based no. care system. I mean, that sounds absolutely great theoretically, but what I would want to know is like, what is the business model specifically? I mean, how do you generate revenue on a value based system um, as opposed to just providing services? So uh, great in terms of 
a strategy for the healthcare industry overall. I don't know how an individual business really, uh, really executes on a business model like that. But um, that would be a question that I would have. If the financials were more interesting, they're not. So I probably just wouldn't even bother asking right now. Excellent. Now, Aaron's going to cap off our show with a Your Stock, our take. It's time we answer a question on Your Stock in a little segment we like to call Your Stock, Our Take. Buy, sell, or hold. From a listener on Algoma Steel Group. Um, Interesting business. I'm interested to see what Aaron has to say. Now, this business has been around for quite a while, and it's just become public once again. Yeah, so Algoma Steel, the symbol is ASTL on the TSX exchange, and it's trading right now at 1340 uh, per share. It has a market capitalization of about $1.5 billion. Algoma Steel is an integrated steel producer in North America. The company has raw steel production capacity currently of 2.8 million tons per year. And this is a company with a 100-year history of operations. It was public many years in the past, um, and it just returned to the public markets again recently in October of 2021. I'm back on the TSX. So Algoma is one of those commodity stories that we've been receiving questions on recently from our clients as well. The stock right now is trading slightly lower uh, than the 1440 level it was at when it commenced trading on the TSX again just back in in October a few months ago. Um, But the performance has been good over just the last five trading days, up about 11%. I've taken a look at the fundamentals of Algoma. Fundamentally, it is an interesting situation. The financial performance in the most recent quarter which is Q2 of fiscal 2022, was very strong. So let's take a look at those numbers. Um, For the second quarter, shipments were up to 587,000 tons, a 13.7% increase compared to about 516,000 tons in the prior year quarter. Revenue was up 168% to just over a billion dollars compared to 377 million in the same quarter of the previous fiscal year. The company reported adjusted EBITDA of $430 million for the quarter and cash flow from operations were $380 million compared to negative cash flow of $56 million in the same quarter the previous year. The strong performance in the last quarter was the result of higher shipments in the period, but also due, primarily due, to a huge increase in average realized steel prices, which were up 146% to almost $1,600 per ton compared to about $650 per ton in the same quarter of the previous year. Looking forward to Q3, the company maintains a positive outlook. They're expecting shipments of about 590,000 to 610,000 tons, up slightly from Q2, and adjusted EBITDA of at least 450 million. The company has an interesting strategy for growth. Algoma recently announced an investment to build a new electric arc steelmaking facility. This has the potential to increase annual production from 2.8 million tons to 3.7 million tons. The facility also has the potential to help reduce the company's carbon footprint by reducing CO2 output by 70% and helping to make Algoma a leader in the area of green steel. Algoma's board of directors also announced a plan to retire all of the company's outstanding senior secured long-term debt. So this would be a debt reduction of $358 million US. 
it would result in a very healthy balance sheet with low debt leverage and save the company an estimated 8.3 million US in quarterly interest payments. And then valuation, very attractive based on the current numbers. Uh, Algoma produced about 450 million in free cash flow over the first six months of this year. Uh, at the market capitalization of 1.5 billion, this is a price to cash flow multiple of just over three times based on only six months of free cash flow. Now, if we were to annualize the free cash flow, it would result in an incredibly low valuation multiple for the stock. But of course, there are some clear risks in annualizing the performance of a company that is so commodity price dependent. Overall, I think that the fundamentals on Algoma are very interesting. The company is producing substantial amounts of free cash flow. They have a plan for growth. The balance sheet is healthy and the valuation is low. The key risk here is in the commodity price exposure. The price of steel and more specifically, the price of hot rolled coil and rolled plate steel are what will be the primary drivers of financial performance and cash flow for Algoma. There has been a massive increase in the price price of steel from August of last year. Since then, prices seem to have peaked, but they're still at elevated levels. So in an environment where steel prices stay strong or even increase from here, there's substantial upside potential in investing in Algoma. However, the flip side to this is that if prices were to weaken significantly, then investors would be facing substantial losses. I think that the important thing to remember here is that investors in Algoma are largely investing in the price of steel. For those that are bullish on this commodity, or if you just want to add some commodity stocks in general to your portfolio, Algoma does provide a compelling investment proposition. But just don't get too caught up in the current fun fundamentals, the current cash flow and the current valuation, because these things can change very quickly. You have to understand the risks of investing in a commodity stock like this set your position size appropriately, and if you do invest in a company like Algoma, expect volatility in the near term. Any comments? None for me, Ryan. Sorry. <clears throat> I think I turned my mic off there, and I think I had a frog in I my throat. I put you to cough it out. That happens, right? No, but uh, I think it's a good summary on the business. Um, yeah, and it is. it really will come down to if you are bullish on the price of steel, uh, going forward, Algoma is going to do tremendously well and the cash flow is going to continue to be at a high level. Uh, valuations right now, you know, valuations are always hard on these commodity businesses. You can have uh, one quarter where they look like they're, you know, they're trading at two, five times cash flow or something like that in that range, like really low valuations. And then the price of the commodity can fall off a cliff and the cash flow can also fall off a cliff and suddenly you're looking at the company looking at high valuations. So, you know, you got to kind of look at a blended average over time to come up with a, a, a good multiple on the company. Right now, it does look attractive. It does look like it's trading at low valuations. That's pending the price of steel. If steel rises this year or stays in its current range, uh, Algoma is probably going to come out with huge cash flow and uh, you know, and look like a good investment story. It could go the other way just as quickly. That's what investors or you know speculators have to know about Algoma. And I am finding some of these commodity stories to be somewhat interesting because through our research, I have come across several names. And in fact, in our income research, I recommended a company um, that has exposure to the copper space. Uh, that's very interesting. Very very solid fundamentals. 
Now it pays like a six percent. It pays a great dividend. So so now it's it's. But I'm I'm very I'm very clear with the information that you know these companies they're really investments largely first and foremost into the into the price of the commodity and at a secondary level into what those individual management teams and companies are doing. Right. So the company that I found it's it has a very interesting investment proposition for a number of reasons even outside of just commodity the commodity price, but ultimately the success or failure is going to be hinged to that factor, to the commodity price. Now, I do think that in the current environment, um, you know, and this is something we're going to discuss um, maybe in the next podcast or the podcast after that, talking about inflation um, and some of the ways that people can p- position their portfolios for an inflationary environment. Commodities are one of those possibilities, although we caution people not to get too over leveraged to them. So we are looking at coming up with some ideas um, in this area. And then fundamentally, a company like Algoma, well, I love the strong balance sheet. I love that they're paying down the debt. Right now, they have great cash flow. Um, so in, in in a strong commodity price environment, you know, they, they, they have potential to do very well. But if the commodity price goes in the other direction, you have to be prepared that uh, there are going to be substantial losses as well. Yeah, they can't dominate your portfolio. No, is no, what we're I, essentially I, trying yeah, to exactly. say. Exactly, yeah. a, a portion of your portfolio invested in these types of companies, a reasonable portion, is is fine. But when somebody starts saying, you know, I'm I'm forecasting a commodity super bull market over the next ten years, and I'm now ninety percent in commodity related stocks, that's a recipe for disaster. It's more of a lotto ticket than anything else. If you want to play the lotto, if you want to gamble, go to Vegas. If you want to invest. Um, you know, think about what you're doing and manage the risk. Yeah, for sure. I guess that'll conclude our podcast for this week. We're putting together our predictions show likely next week for 2022 and beyond. Look back at some of our predictions, our funny predictions for 2021 as well. Uh, Should be a good show. Look forward to that next week. Keep your questions coming in for our Your Stock, Our Take segment. We'll endeavor to answer those each week. Ask us anything segment as well. If you want us to compare a couple companies, look at two companies in a similar industry, uh, we can have a debate on that as well. As always, um, I'm going to wish you profitable investing, but this time I'm going to say Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to all our listeners out there as well. Thank yes, you. Happy New Year's, everyone, and profitable investing. Happy New Year. Thank you.